that Kaylin's going to read Psalm 13 in Chinese, and then, so most of you can understand it, Deanna will come and also read it in English. Psalm 我心里抽算不安内心中日愁苦要到几时呢我的愁里生过我要到几时呢耶和华我的神啊求你看顾我应允我求你使我的眼睛明亮免得我沉睡致死免得我的愁里说我生过了他免得我的跌倒的时候我的敌人就欢呼至于我我依靠你的慈爱我的心必因你的救恩欢呼 long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemies say I have prevailed over him. Lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. This is the word of the Lord. It's fascinating, and thank you, Kaylin, for doing that, because I thought, as you read that, you know, David did not originally pray this in English. He would have prayed it in Hebrew. And it's amazing to me that people all over the world can cry out to God in their pain and in their native tongue, and God knows exactly what Kaylin was reading, just as much as any of us crying out to God in English. So the question we come to in this text is how do you talk to God when life hurts? And I don't assume that I know the answer to that. I'm guessing that there is a fight or flight for some of you, like you want to argue with God, kind of blow up at him. Others of you may kind of retreat from conversation and clam up. I think there's a, uh, there's a self-censorship thing that I'll talk about later in this message that, that some of us can do because we feel like there are right ways and wrong ways to talk to God, and that's probably true. Um, it's interesting, just, just two weeks ago as we were going through this kind of like questioning Christianity series and thinking about these big questions and blocks, foundational blocks of living, we talked about the problem of pain and suffering, and then here two weeks later we come to... I think one of the best illustrations of this type of psalm in all of Scripture, it's a psalm called a lament. And as I just prayed, um, this is an individual lament. You can see in the heading, it's a psalm of David. So King David, probably Israel's most famous king in the Old Testament, is writing this and he's praying this to God. And I want to give you a biblical framework for how you talk to God when your life hurts. And we'll see these three things. There's a complaint... There's a cry and there's a consolation, and each of those is important. Each of those is two verses. This will go, I think, pretty quickly for you. But I think each of these three pieces is important that you grab onto and say, that's okay, this is good, what do I do with that? 
okay? So beginning verses one and two with a complaint, and I'll reread these so you're not trying to either remember what Kaylin read or even what Deanna read, all right? So a complaint sounds like this. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? And if you do like I do and you're marking your Bible, something that will jump out to you is that he says, how long, four times. And it sounds like a question, but it's really an accusation. And this is what I mean. If you are moving something extremely heavy and your spouse or a friend or a roommate is standing across the room or sitting across the room and you say, how long are you going to sit there and let me just struggle with this on my own? You're not looking for like, oh, probably 15 more seconds. You're saying, get over here and help me with this. And that's the first thing that David is saying. Not only complaining to God about someone else, he's complaining about God to God. How long are you just going to sit there and essentially do nothing while I struggle in my pain? And the first of three complaints here is he's saying, God, or first of four, he's saying, you're ignoring me. You're ignoring me. I am crying out to you in pain, in turmoil, um, external circumstances, my internal reaction to that. It's all messed up, and you are completely ignoring me. And we know that because he uses the word forget in verse 1. Like, how long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? You know, I forget sometimes where I've put my wallet if I don't put it in the same place every day, every time. And then I'm like, where did I put my wallet? I need to put an air tag on my wallet so I can find my wallet, you know? And this is a really bad story, but some of you parents will relate. When one of my kids was small, and it was either Maddie or Micah, and this is, this is how much I've tried to block this out, okay? Because <laughs> that was years apart. But you know, you're like, you're driving around with one of your kids and they're in their car seat and they're screaming, and they're, they're worked up. They, they want mom to feed them. They need a diaper change. And eventually they fall asleep, and it's just quiet. So I'm running errands, and I'm like, I'm like in Home Depot, and I'm just doing my thing, and I was like, oh, kid, in the car. And I'm like, okay, I'm not that parent. You know, and you got you to gotta kind of nonchalantly get back. You can't, like, sprint to the car because everyone's like, what's going on? You're going to, like, nonchalantly go back to the car and be like, peek in and be like, all right, I got the kid, I'm bad, like, I'm fine, you know? That is not, like, God doesn't forget like that. He's not like, oh, something spaced my mind or my memory. God doesn't forget anything like that. So David's complaint really is not like this, I've, I've skipped your mind. He's saying, you stopped caring about me. And nothing is going to change if you keep ignoring me forever. Secondly, he says, not only are you ignoring me, but he's like, you're hiding from me. Because David's not literally saying, I can't see your face. Because there was, there was not a time that we know of in David's life where he looked and was like, oh, there's God's face. I see it. Now I don't. But it's inter- there's a Hebraic kind of idiom. Like to show someone your face was to show someone your favor. And to hide your face from someone was to withhold your favor. And really what he's saying is, is not like, I can't see you, where are you? He's saying, you're hiding from me, you're hiding your favor from me. And you may feel like that when you feel like, I have prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed, and it's like there's a concrete lid on my prayers, 
that it seems like I'm not getting through to God at all, that's the idea of he's hidden his face from me. Thirdly, he complains, it's your fault that my heart is filled with anguish and turmoil. And this is this phrase, notice he says, how long must I take counsel in my soul? And usually we use the word counsel or counseling like someone's giving you advice, they're talking through something with you. They're giving you instruction, they're giving you a path, okay? Um, he's saying, I'm doing this with myself. I'm taking counsel in my soul. So, and you all know that kind of internal dialogue that you do. You're meditating on something, you're in a problem, and you're like, how do I fix this? And you're kind of mulling over between your heart, your soul, your mind. You're like, I could try this, or what about this? And maybe if I plan this and devise this, and, and I'm not talking like you're being manipulative. I'm just saying that's, that's what it is to take counsel together, like with yourself, is you're meditating, you're thinking. But he's like, how, how long do I have to keep doing this? Because none of my thoughts and plans are working. They're not changing anything. And you can hear this anguish in the very next line where he says, and have sorrow. Sorrow is a, a, an easy translation of a word that's like anguish, intense grief. So he's like, as I'm mulling over these things, as I'm wrestling with these things, the, really the idea is I'm wrestling and wrestling and wrestling and wrestling and wrestling, and you're not saying anything. You're not changing my circumstances. I'm tied in knots. I'm not getting anywhere. It's just agonizing. And importantly, he's saying, God, it's your fault that it's this way. His final complaint, he's like, it's also your fault that my enemy is exalted over me. And if you know the Old Testament, you know David had many enemies. It's kind of nice that he doesn't tell us which enemy this is because this, he could have prayed this prayer a hundred different nights or a thousand different days. And it could have applied to King Saul, the king that was king before him, before he rebelled. And God kind of deposes Saul and says, now David's king. And Saul's like, well, I'm not letting go of this that easily and tries to kill David. Or it could be like Absalom, which is David's own son that goes up north, gets all the northern tribes together, says, be loyal to me instead of my father, tries to overthrow him. This could be a, a number of David's advisors, his closest, most trusted men turned on him, sided with Absalom, um, a man like Ahithophel does this. It could be like the Philistines, you know, David and Goliath, that's the Philistines. Could be like a whole tribe or nation or people group is coming against him. But he's just saying, God, it's, it's your fault that the enemy is getting the upper hand. They're celebrating my defeat and it's, it's your fault because you don't do anything. And I just want to summarize this complaint by asking you, do you ever feel some of these kinds of things toward God? Like you're ignoring me. Your face is turned against me. It's your fault that this is going on. It's your fault that you're not fixing it. And as you do that, do you find yourself self-censoring or do you, do you let it rip? And I'm going to like put this more colloquially, like, God, this hurts so bad. When is this going to stop? Where in the world are you? You could fix this, but you're not. You could heal me, but you're not. You could make this all end tomorrow, but you're not. This is your fault. I don't even know why I bother continuing to talk to you. And by the way, I realized in preparing to preach this particular psalm, something about myself, that I rarely talk to God this way anymore. 
And I look back and I was like, I, I used to. I used to have conversations like, God, this is a mess. Like this abandonment, this betrayal, this chronic pain, this, you know, this building. If you were here last week and it was raining and the rain's coming through the ceiling into here. And I'm like, so the architects messed up and the, con- the, the contractor messed up and no one fixes it. And there's injustice and the, the stuff going on in our world. And like, I'm just, I'm frustrated. And you could... You could restore this thing, this relationship, this, this church thing, this society thing. And if you healed it, by the way, let me just coach you a little bit, God. Like, you would get so much glory if you did this. I used to talk to God that way. And over many years, I kind of scaled it back. And I have, like, holier conversations with God now. And I thought, here's the phrase that occurred to me. I was like, maybe I grew up or maybe I gave up. What I mean is, there is a Christian maturity that you're not just griping to God about everything. Like, I'm so mad about, like, instead of, like, living a life of joy and praise and saying, life hurts and thank you for this gift. I have pain physically, relationally, like, whatever, financially, I'm struggling, my job, some of you are out of work, whatever your thing is, cancer, and and you're like, I just, I'm not going to say that all the time because I am thankful for this life God gave me. That's, that's growing up. Giving up, and this is the thought that occurred to me as I went back to a, a surgeon this week for my back. I thought, maybe I stopped talking to God this way for the same reason I stopped talking to doctors this way, which is, I don't think they care. You know, a doctor is like, how many... You've been a back surgeon for 20 years. How many different people do you think you've seen? Do you think you really invest in every single person? Like, I will take up your cause and I will advocate for you. And I will not drop you until I see this whole thing through and you have relief. It's like, well, of course not. So I stopped talking to them. And the words that came to me were like resigned and calloused. Like, just, like, I'm just resigned to this is the way it's going to be. And a, a callus is not, it's not a bad thing. I got calluses on my hand from working, okay? And the calluses build up over time, and they can be a good thing because they're, they're preventing, you know, blisters and cuts. And, but, but when you have that friction in your life and you have that pain in your life, like, how many of you know that something can build up on your heart? They can build up in your emotions. It can build up in your thoughts. It can build up in the way that you talk to God, that is like that, that rough layer where you just, you stop trying to get through. Um, I thought of words like cynical, pessimistic, stoic of like, I'll just grit it out and bear it. And I think on the authority of God's word, you have words here from the psalmist saying, don't become a pessimist. Don't become a cynic. Don't give up on God the way you give up on talking to the doctors. Sure, grow up, be mature in the way that you talk to God, but is it possible that talking to God this way is a part of being mature? And knowing I'm a child of God, and you're saying, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief, like the Father in the New Testament that talked to Jesus. So that's, that's the complaint. Number two, you got to cry. Okay, so now he's going to turn his complaining into... I want you to listen for three imperatives. These are really commands. He's not just saying, God, would you please do this if it's your will? He's just like, do this. So verse three, consider 
And answer me, O Lord my God, light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemies say, I have prevailed over him, lest my foes rejoice, because I am shaken. And you look at the first word of verse 3 there, and isn't consider such a polite word? You know when you've been trying and trying and trying and trying and trying to get someone's attention, and you're like, consider me? The translation is, look at me. It's not consider. David's sick of it. He's fed up. And as this word is typically used in the Bible, it's look at me. Do you see what's going on here? Like, I know you're busy running the universe, but could you pay attention to my life for a few seconds? Look at me. Secondly, he says, answer me. And, and I love that he's not like, answer this question, this specific question, this question. He's just like, I just want to hear anything from you. I'm not saying I have this list of specific things, like, could you address this? And could you address, he's like, just, just say something. Say something, say anything. Just respond to let me know that you're listening. And then the third cry here, light up my eyes. And that's an interesting one, because again, it's kind of idiomatic, but it doesn't directly translate to English very well. But, I mean, you, you know that what you see with your eyes, what you sense with your five senses, isn't that often more real to you than what is also true, but you can't see it? Like, oh, I, I trust God, but also this is going on in my life. And what he's saying is, I just don't see how this is going to work out. And it's like my, my eyes are closing. My understanding is, everything's getting darker and fuzzier. And the, the request, like, light up my eyes is like, show me what you're doing. I need to sense it. I need to experience it because I'm, I'm too exhausted, too weak to make sense of what you're doing. When we can't see the purpose or the point of what God's doing, we feel hopeless. Many of you have been there. Many of you, you may be there right now, okay? We talked a couple weeks ago about the difference between pain, suffering, stress, tension, where we're like, I know the point, I know the objective, okay? Like, it's hurting me to have this baby, but that's how you get the baby, okay? Versus like, I know I'm delivering a stillborn child. And I thought, many years ago to like an ACL reconstruction, a couple of surgeries I had on my knee. And I'm thinking, like worst pain of my life for a couple days. And I'm like, but this is what it takes to heal. And then going to the physical therapist every time, and some of you are like, need to go to the physical therapist, so you're skipping the physical therapy. Why? Because it's, it like takes time, it takes effort, it hurts. Like she's gonna push on you in a way that you don't wanna push yourself. But some of you are like, but I go because I know this is how I get full range of motion back. And if I don't, other things just anatomically are going to start to go wrong. So I know the point. I know the purpose. I push through the pain. And I feel like that's all David's asking for. Like from our human perspective, just a perfectly reasonable, God, just, just show me what you're doing. Like look at me, say something, open my eyes to have a little bit of your perspective on what's going on. And this is interesting because then he says, lest. 
Okay, notice that in your text, lest, three times. So he's like, God, here's my cry. Here's what I'm telling you to do or else. Or else what? He's like, or else I'm going to die. I'm going to be defeated by my enemies and your enemies, and I'm going to die. And I don't think that's necessarily hyperbole, like this is killing me. we, We say like, oh, this pain is killing me. Well, sometimes we wish it would, but it's actually not. As I mentioned, some of these enemies like Saul, Absalom, Ahithophel, the Philistines, other groups, he, he probably was being literal, like, unless you act on my behalf, God, I will literally be killed. And, and I think here's the important thing. He's saying, God, you made promises to me. Like, do you know this? Like, before he's king and the prophet comes and anoints him and says, you're the anointed one of God. You're, you're the shepherd king. You're the Messiah. Now, not the ultimate Messiah, but that's the word that's used of David. So David's like, you promised this, and you promised this offspring, and you promised this nation that had your favor. And I'm not seeing any of those things. So what I hear in between the lines, and I think this is part of David's self-censoring, is he's, he's too holy and righteous to say, God, it's really your reputation that's at stake. Like, if my enemies defeat me and they dance on my grave, they get the credit, their gods get the glory, you don't. But if you deliver me, as is the obvious thing for you to do, then you would get the glory. You could boast over them. And again, I just want to pause and, and say, you know, maybe you think, I don't, I don't know that it's right to complain to God, to, to give him a piece of my mind, as it were. Um, and I said this a couple weeks ago, but, you know, when, when, you're, when you're already feeling something, and you're just like, but I'm not going to say that to God. That may actually be a sign of unbelief rather than belief. Like me, like you're not going to do anything with it. So if I don't say it, then I don't have the disappointment of like saying it and knowing that I wasn't hurt another time, another day. Look at the heading of the psalm. Okay, so what does it say right after the number? To the choir master, a psalm of David. Do you see that? Most of your Bibles hopefully have that because that's part of inspired scripture. Do you know the choir master is the corporate worship leader? The choir master is Richard. So David is not just writing something as a personal journal, like I'm angry with God, I'm frustrated, look at me, listen to me, answer me, say something, do something, give me your perspective. The, The Holy Spirit is instructing David, you write this, Give it to the worship leader, and he's going to use this now for going on 3,000 years for the corporate worship of God's people. So an individual lament has turned into a corporate lament, and God is actually saying, as I give you an instruction manual for worship, part of that instruction manual for how you worship the true God is this thing called lament. And again, to be clear, if all we do is complain and cry then there's an imbalance. This, this last point is so important, but the first two points are important. He takes up four of the six verses to complain and to say, God, do this or else. But he doesn't stop there because thirdly, verses five and six, we have this consolation, which means this hope. So you see the word but, but, at the beginning here, but is the turning point. He's like, I'm pressing through my pain. I'm acknowledging my pain, 
But something else is also true. And instead of putting it in his words, I'm going to say that these are words that you, I'm asking you to take up this, these three phrases, okay? Number one, I will trust in God's steadfast love. Not as he does or he will, but saying, as I'm complaining to God, as I'm crying out to God, I'm also saying, I will trust in your steadfast love. And like, I love this word trust. It's like, it's like rely on, depend on, put your full confidence in. Um, the way I've illustrated this before is there, there is a vast difference between believe and trust. Most of you would say, I believe in God and I believe that he is capable of these things. I believe that he even does these things for other people. Um, do you trust him? Okay, so in 1859, there's this guy named Charles Blondin and he runs this wire across the top of Niagara Falls, all the way across the top. And he starts walking back and forth on this wire. And more and more people are coming out from like, even like New York City and Pittsburgh and they're, they're like, what is this guy doing? And he's going out there, and he gets a wheelbarrow, and he walks across with a wheelbarrow. And then he walks across, like, and just stands on one foot. And then he balances a chair and stands on top of the chair. And he's like, okay, how many of you believe that I could carry you across on my back? And everyone's like, yeah, all right. And he's like, all right, who signs up? His manager was like, well... Snap, I guess I, I, guess I got to do that because I'm managing you and I'm making all this money off scheduling this thing. And he's like, I, I guess I got to do that because no one wanted to do it. Everyone believed that he could, but no one relied on him to actually do it. I think there's that gap in a lot of our practice of our theology. I believe God could. I believe God is this way. Do I fully put my weight on him? that he's the one doing it. By the way, I love the way that story goes. Like as, as Blondin's out there with his manager on his back, the guy's panicked. And so he's kind of like shifting his weight because he's like, oh, he, he did like this, so I need to do this. And Blondin like sh- has to shout at him over the roar, of the roar of this waterfall. And he's like, stop, only cling to me. Don't you try to adjust. You're gonna kill us both. Only cling to me, and you'll be safe. So that's what David is instructing his heart to do. This is his consolation. He's like, I understand that this pain is real, that this pain is active, but I trust God. And this is so important. I find myself guilty of this. Maybe you do. There's a massive difference between trusting God for a particular outcome that you want and trusting God. I think a lot of us are mad at God or like just constantly like there's this simmering back burner displeasure of God because we weren't really trusting God. We were trusting him to be the delivery driver. Like we ordered, we prayed. It's like, you're the delivery driver. You make my dreams come true. You didn't make my dreams come true. What happened? Well, God's not the delivery driver. God's not the means to some other end in your life. God is the end And he wants you to experience the steadfastness of his love. Actually trusting in his character, his loyal covenant love. I will trust in God's steadfast love. His second consolation here in ours, I will rejoice in God's comprehensive salvation. Salvation is like deliverance or rescue. 
And I say comprehensive salvation because we, we also do this. I want to be delivered from this thing, this unemployment, this cancer, this chronic pain, this divorce, this abandonment, this division in my life. We go through the list of things. Acknowledge that thing that you want deliverance from or to, but also be like, God, open the eyes of my heart to see all the other ways that you have delivered me, you are delivering me, and you will deliver me. Because I don't want to miss the good that you're up to. And I think part of the, the discipline of like rejoicing in something and not just being like, oh yeah, but you are doing this, but you, you stop and you're like, oh, my heart is tugging me here. It's like, but, and the, the word rejoice, there's nothing clever about it. It means like rejoice, praise. Like I'm going to stop and praise you, God, because even if this is true in my life right now, you are going to do this. I know it. I believe it. And then this third one, I will sing to God because of his generous grace. And again, he's handing this off to the, the choir master and he's saying like, okay, teach all the people this. And I don't know how big a point to make of this. Kind of like wrestled with this this week. But the word singing here, in the Hebrew, it means singing. <laughs> so I get out the Googles and I'm like, tell me about the neuroscience of singing versus talking or singing versus crying. And it's fascinating. They're like adding music actually taps into like, and I'm, I'm talking not just spiritually. I think this happens spiritually. And I think it happens cognitively, but it actually physiologically taps into a different system in your brain than normal just thought processing. I mean, maybe in the wisdom of God, because he's like, I know how I designed you. He, he literally means singing, not, not just praying a thanks. Like there is, the, the rejoicing can just be like, thank you, God. I praise you, God. But, but I, I can't help but wonder, he goes beyond that. And it's not just a parallel line. He's like, I'm also going to sing about. And it's basically like the generous grace that you've given me. In your worst moment, when you're experiencing the greatest pain, the greatest fear, the greatest doubt, the greatest frustration, can you command your heart to sing? I mean, maybe, maybe just be like, if, if that's weird for you, like, go in your car, drive to the middle of nowhere, like, crank up music that directs your heart toward things that are true about God, and just sing along with it. Because I think that's the spirit of what he's saying here. David sang and rejoiced and trusted God's steadfast love. I just want to remind you here in closing, David did that knowing a fraction of the good news that we know now. He has God's promise that like through your line, through your family, I will one day send another anointed Messiah, another shepherd king. But David doesn't know that shepherd king is not just going to risk his life to rescue me from pain. That shepherd king is going to give his life to deliver me from my pain. I love the words of the hymn that say, he took my sins and my sorrows. He made them his very own. He bore my burdens to Calvary and suffered and died alone. Hey, David doesn't know all that, but we look back and we, we see that. We know that, that every pain the physical pain, the emotional pain, the relational pain, 
the, the psychological pain, the just society pain. Jesus is not just saying like, oh, put the sin on me. I'll take the sin. He's like, put all the pain on me. Put all the sorrow on me. A man of sorrows acquainted with grief is what the Bible says of Jesus. And he takes it all on himself. Why? To give us this inheritance, salvation, blessing that we see just a glimpse of now. Do you know when we long to experience God's steadfast love, when we long to push through our pain to rejoice and literally sing out to him and just say, I'm going to celebrate the generous grace of Jesus taking my sorrow and my sin, going to a cross, doing this battle on the cross to defeat everything that can defeat me, and then defeating death by coming back to life. And now he rules and reigns. And for whatever reason, in his wisdom, he's allowing this pain. Uh, but, but what do I do with this? Pushing through to love and to rejoice and to sing. And I was like, man, when well, we're doing that, we know from the authority of God's word that our goals are now aligned with God's goals for us. Why do I say that? Because I thought of Zephaniah 3.17. Is he referencing Psalm 13, 5, and 6, but he flips it around? And instead of the psalmist, which is you, which is me, individually and corporately, rejoicing in God's steadfast love, commanding our hearts to praise him and sing over him, he flips it around and says this, The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exult over you with loud singing. So it's like when I am crying out to God in my pain, when you are crying out to God in your pain, it's like, okay, okay, but what is he doing? When I think he is completely out to lunch and I feel like, David, like how long are you going to let me bear this thing by myself? You know what? Fine. I'm just going to, maybe I'm mad. Maybe I'm sad. Maybe I'm just trying to be obedient and just see if commanding my heart instead of following my heart changes something. So God, I'm just going to praise you. I know that you faithfully love me. And he's like, now can I quiet you by that love? And the picture is like, you're in all this turmoil and angst and frustration. He's like, shh, be quiet, be still. I love you. And he's singing over us. Like far from just being out to lunch and ignoring us, it's like he, he's rejoicing over his covenant people with gladness. He is exulting over us with loud singing. And I'll just end this way. I've, I've told even some of you, like the, the good thing about chronic pain is like when you're up in the middle of the night, after a long period of time, you kind of decide what you're going to do with that, that pain and that time because you're like, I'm not going to go back to sleep. So I started thinking like this friend has cancer. This friend has a tumor. This friend has chronic pain in your neck. And I'm like praying for specific people and specific needs. And that's not like pat myself on the back. And here's the point. A couple times I've gone to like text a friend and say like, I'm praying for you right now. And I get a text on my phone right that instant from that person saying, I'm praying for you right now. That just hits different. And my point is, as we turn our attention in this consolation, in this hope to the things that honor God, in a sense, he's, he's already texting you back. <laughs> he's, he's already 
rejoicing and singing over you. And I know sometimes we don't hear that, we don't sense that, we don't believe that. But, but this is why we continue to lament. A biblical language for saying, so much of life hurts, so much of life is not going according to plan. Do I stuff it down? Do I just pretend like I'm holier than that? I'm better than that? I don't talk to God that way? And you have a pattern in God's word of like, no, complain, kick and scream, cry out to him, tell him what you want him to do, and let it resolve. And, and maybe you have to pray this way or, and sing this way a hundred times a day, but each time let it resolve in, I'm singing over the one who's singing over me. God, quiet me with your love. Okay, so I waited all this time to give you this one big idea. Here it is. Be honest with God when life hurts. Be honest with God. But don't forget to be honest with yourself about God's unfailing love. And that's what a lament is. It's, it's being honest with God when and because life hurts and being honest with yourself about the part you don't see because you trust God and you know it's true. Lord, in your kindness, someone here, quiet them with your love. Sing over them today. Let's pray.